As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is presented in part by the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular. New for 2018, the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular will be contested at IHRA tracks around the country with a $10,000 to win Saturday and $5,000 to win Sunday format. By pre-entering the Saturday race for only $150, you will receive entry to Sunday's race for free. In addition, today's podcast is brought to you by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're an open-minded racer with a desire to improve on the racetrack, This Is Bracket Racing Elite can provide the tools to help you do so. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Holy smokes, partner. What a weekend. <laughs> Man, it was huge. Sometimes in the world of sportsman drag racing, our style of competition doesn't create obvious stories, and we've got to search them out here on the show, or in some cases, maybe create them and make a little bit bigger story of what otherwise might not be. This week is not that. <laughs> there is, I'm looking at our show notes, Big Jed. We've got 10 pages to cover, and we're on a little bit of a truncated time schedule this week, so we've got enough content to do like a three plus hour show we're not going to do that but we will touch on with three nhra bracket finals over the weekend one ihra lots of domination within those 
headed up by none other than Jake Howard. Jake Howard will be on the show with us. We'll get into exactly what he did down in Texas momentarily. Had two NHRA events, just two on the schedule last weekend, one national, one divisional event, but they both shook up the Sportsman Points Chase. We have new leaders in two categories, so we'll talk a little bit about that. We had the last big event, the the summer send-off at Rocky Mountain Raceway. We'll touch on that. Some big stuff upcoming on the schedule in the weeks to come. In short, Big Jed, big show. Huge. We got to start somewhere. He's on fire. It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete top dragster or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item. The folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at bteracing.com. Luke, this week's BT Who's Hot, this is his second time of being awarded this this honor, and he has uh, earned it both times this weekend. Wow, unbelievable performance by Jake Howard. Jake might hey, like guys. the Texas Motorplex. Yeah, uh, Jake does like the <laughs> Texas Motorplex, and we've got him on the phone with us right now to talk about his huge weekend. But, Jake, you will be representing Division Four in California for the third consecutive season. Now, this three times in a row is extremely difficult to do because you're racing the best of the best. This year, you've one-upped yourself by getting two cars. You won pro and sportsman at the D4 bracket finals, and you will now go for the third time in a row, man. Congrats on a heck of a weekend. Well, I appreciate it, guys, and uh, once again, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it was a pretty... Uh Incredible weekend for me personally, to say the least. I was able to obviously win pro in my own car after it was down all of last year, just about. And uh, got in touch with my good buddy Jeremy Falkenbach once again, and he loaned me a pretty spectacular hot rod to, to jump in, try to get it yeah. done, and we prevailed. Yeah, so three years ago, you won in pro, I believe, in the, the Love Machine. Uh, last year, you won in Sportsman, is that correct? So in yeah. pro, I won in, in my car the first time. The, train, the, the first time. Third. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then last right. year was uh, the Falkenbach F10. Okay. All right. So you've won pro, then you won sportsman, and now you've won both in the third year to go back to Pomona and take a shot at two titles, man. That's, uh, again, unbelievable performance. You've had an amazing year. You've already been our Who's Hot award one time this year you're coming back for the second time as the bt who's hot with a an amazing performance but you know take us through the weekend can you sum up the weekend and and tell us you know the story how it went yeah so really the the weekend was kind of i'd say pretty relaxed to be honest with you uh so we had a kind of a rainstorm friday night so they decided they were going to run as many time runs as we could get on friday and jump straight into elimination on saturday a lot of people played it smart. They said, well, heck, I'm already here, but they're just going to give me one time run, and I'm going to take it Saturday morning. And uh, I, I, I did not do that. <laughs> I, I tend to take the harder route, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but uh, obviously I had some trailer issues back on Labor Day, and turns out you can guess wrong twice without measuring. So I thought my bolt pattern on my trailer was four, five by four and three quarters, and 
come to find out it was five by five. So it wouldn't be a bracket finals if there wasn't some kind of snafu along the way. <laughs> but, you know, the Trans Am, it does what it does. It went out there and went 670 with the three and 670 with the four in time runs. It seemed to be pretty hard to dial for everybody on Saturday. My car moved around about 100 to 200 more than it normally does. And, but I just seemed to be in the right place at the right time. Needed the tree. Got the tree when I needed the tree and drove the stripe good when I needed to drive the stripe good. Uh, the El Camino, I hit the tree pretty well the first three or four rounds and then kind of tailed off near the end. And maybe that was just a little driver fatigue. Maybe it was just my lack of concentration. But I'll attest to the good hot rod that my good buddy Jeremy Pockenbach put me in for the second year in a row. And good stuff, Jake. Just to reiterate, like what you've done here, if any of our listeners weren't paying attention, Jake Howard just won the NHRA Division Four Bracket Finals in both pro and sportsman. And it was his fourth NHRA Division Four Bracket Finals championship in the last three years. That, that, I mean, as I say that, like, does that even sink in? That's that's some. I don't know that that's ever been done. Kyle Seifel might have done that. Like, he's won 18 bracket finals or whatever the whatever the count is. But that is rare air if anyone has ever accomplished anything like that, Jake. Yeah, I mean, I know you're what 48 hours removed from it, or if that. But can you put any of that into perspective just yet? Uh, you know, honestly, it seemed like the first one was by far the most emotional one for me, and uh, just because. I was sick and I was having car problems leading up to that race. Really, my car's been pretty uh, maintenance-free all year, luckily. Uh, thanks to all the great products that, that go into this car with all the great companies that put their faith in me to represent them well. But uh, as far as, you know, winning it four or three times, maybe it, it doesn't really sink into me. I don't know why. Maybe it's, it seems like it would be cooler to me if somebody else did it. Like, like wow, you know. Luke <laughs> went out and won a million, or, you know, Jeff already won both things in two years. That's pretty badass. You know, if I did that, I wouldn't think it's that cool, and I don't really know why, but I don't know. I guess it's just kind of the way I approach things, and I'm just kind of level-headed most of the time. Nothing really excites me. Nothing really gets me riled up unless uh, the time is just messed up. The shit's thrown out. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that comes through from the outside. Like, that's kind of the impression I would get when I watch you. Our listeners of the, of the podcast, Jake, always know, like, this seems to be a go-to question for me, but I always find it interesting. Like, whenever you win a big event, everybody kind of looks at it like, well, you, everybody has to get away with one. Like, so, and I would agree with that. Like there's typically around somewhere along the way that you maybe don't perform quite up to your potential and it lines up against an opponent. And where in that particular round, you're able to get away with it. But I would also say that the reverse is true. Typically when you win a race of this nature, especially like there's usually a round along the way where your opponent makes a really good run, a run that might even typically beat you. And for whatever reason, it just lines up where in that instance, you made an awesome run beside it again on demand, like as you needed to, I guess, over the course of the the two categories, is there any round that stands out in either or both directions? Uh, I would say in pro, there was one round that I kind of fell off on the tree a little bit. I think I was 30 or 31. And uh, luckily, the guy next to me was, I think I had 300 to play with. And my car fell off four numbers. Well, luckily, I had this little jug in the back of my car. And I felt like the way we left the starting line that I should probably take the stripe. And luckily for me, I made the right decision and got 9,000 to the front and to ring it up four over, which was uh, kind of a shocker when I crossed the finish line and uh, threw me for a curveball kind of the next round leading up to that. Had to dial up 300 to hope for the best. You know, but fortunately, the car stayed within about seven or eight thousand the last four rounds so 
it made my job easy after that. It, it rewarded me with a, a much better performance the last four rounds. And uh, I'd say in the El Camino, there was one round where I was racing an 11th second dually. And this guy, he does not turn the truck off from the time he shows up to the racetrack to the time he goes home. He has this big five foot barrel fan he puts in front of it. It's, uh, I guess, a, one of those big Ford F350s. And, you know, it's really hard when you're trying to focus. And out of the corner of your eye, you're seeing this big tank of a truck driving. He's already 300 feet down the track. And, you know, I watched him leave as best as I could with the blinder on the other side of the tree. And I said, man, he was pretty good. Of course, they always do. You never know. It, it could be 100. They could be 15. The flow of those things leave. You just never know. Yes. And I just, I said, well, just hit it. Hope for the best. And I hit it, and I was perfect that round. And he was 34 and, like, two overs. So not a bad laugh at a car that's going, you know, 55 miles an hour or whatever he crossed that. So I felt like I drove well on that one when I kind of needed to and kind of got away with one in the Trans Am the round before. Yeah, it's it's hard to be 30 or better on anybody in a dually. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's tough. And then you're trying to figure out what they did because you can't help but watch. And it's just like you said, it's – it just starts making your mind scramble a little bit. Sound like you got through that very well. So Absolutely. you're running. It was a sorry. It was a it was a pucker moment for sure when my foot went down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, I hit that too soon. <laughs> so yeah. you know, you talk about you're racing two cars. The fire turds running what six fifties, six forties. What's it going? It's going six six seventies out there. Seventies, right. and then the the sportsman vehicles running whatever it's running a little slower obviously but so you, there's a lot of difficulty in that so how difficult is it driving two different bottom bulb cars focusing on each class that they compete in and jake at what point did you think you know this really might happen oh uh, really <laughs> you know the humble side of me wants to say you know when you show up with two cars you say man it'd be kind of cool to win in one but man it'd be really damn cool if i could win in both of them that's why you take two, trying to win in both. Yeah, ways. that's why you take two. That's right. Double, <laughs> double the chances, right? So that's right. I guess it was about the time, about fourth round, when I finally came around on the tree, the Trans Am, and I was driving the El Camino pretty good on the on both ends, really, and as far as my standards and sportsmen. And that final win light came on the sportsman, and it didn't even really sink in. I'm like, yeah, you still got, you still need two more win lights, dude. You don't, there's no, no sense in celebrating yet. We still have business to take care of if we can get it done. So I just tried to relock in my focus and jump back into Trans Am. And as far as bouncing back and forth from one car to the other, you probably know as well as I do, you tend to have a different mindset in the environment you're put in as far as the race cars, you know, the way they feel, the way you sit in it, the way the pedals are, you know, tire pressure adjustments, RPM adjustments. Try and get the spots as close as possible without factoring, without hurting the consistency of the car in one way, shape, or form. And so I just tried to, you know, like I said, keep my mindset for one environment separate from the other and uh, just really try to lock in on that bottom bolt and, and jump all over it when it came on. And sound like it worked out very well for you. Wait a second, Jay. I think I missed something in the in putting this together. Did you say that you won Sportsman in an Elka Trucco? Yeah, the El Trucco. <laughs> wow. You don't see that very often. <laughs> Got it done in an Elka Trucco. This guy can win in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> Jake, you're, you're going back to Pomona for an incredible third consecutive season. I mean, it's like the staff out there is expecting you to be there now. It's like you've gotten to know everybody from going so many times back to back. 
you had a first round loss in 2016 in the pro category. You moved to a runner up position last year in sportsman. So now you're taking two cars that you've just competed in one in both. Does the experience going out there, being a part of it all, does it give you an edge this time? Do you, do you feel more prepared than ever? I'm not sure there's ever, you can ever be prepared enough to kind of go into that environment. I think just being through the experience a few times will definitely help. I've talked to Hepler about this numerous times, and we, we both say it doesn't matter how many times you've been there, how many times you've done it, you drive under that tower, you're going to be nervous. <laughs> the butterflies are flying in, a, in yeah. an atmosphere like that. And uh, by the time you know you stay, it's kind of weird how, you, how it all kind of goes away. It, it's just it's pretty strange. To that point, Jake, for two people in, in Jed and I that have never experienced that, and for 99% of our listeners that have never, never experienced that, like to make it to Pomona, I mean, it's obviously, it goes without saying, it's the elite of the elite. Like I always felt like just competing in the bracket finals was an honor. You know, I mean, that means that you've acquitted yourself well throughout the season just to earn that spot and then to win among that crowd and you know in division four is really impressive where you show up at pomona one of eight competing for the national championship and seven of the eight have been through the exact same scenario that you are you know what i mean um so you've got the best of the best of the best can you put into words and it may be difficult like what is that pomona runoff like the electricity and the atmosphere and like i've watched it from the stands but that just seems like a different level can you put that into words at all for us yeah i mean it's, it's really a one and once in a lifetime experience and i'm very fortunate to be able to I did it more than once not only with my dad which really lit the fire to me and this is really cool be really awesome to race in this and then you know two years later i get to go in the car me and my dad built uh, and experience that from the driver's seat is pretty special. And you drive under that tower first round, the dialing, the dialers are on the scoreboards, fans are in the stands, and you know, deep in the back of your mind, you say, this is for a pretty big trophy and a $5,000 check. It, it, there's only three win lines standing in the way of accomplishing that. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty special, just the experience and all the people you meet out there. I mean, the last two years, we hang out with the Division Six guys. They're they're awesome. I mean, you guys know Brad Thornton. He can't come out that way. They're all just like him, real laid back. Uh, Chris Johnson and Troy Johnson, Junior Howe, all the, the guess who racing, you know, you know them, Jen. Uh, oh, yeah. Christopher Northrup and, and Seth, Seth McLean, those guys, man, that just the sportsman pits, is that, that's where it happens. They treat you like kings out there for that event. You get the butt right up against the pros, the bump elbows with them. You get to stand on the start line with top fuel going down the track. You get all the special passes, VIPs, this and that. Come and go as you please. Everyone's everyone's happy to see you. The fans walk around and they see your cars versus, you know, no offense to Peter Biondo when he's parked in the back 40, but they, they see this rusty old, this rusty old fire turret sitting up there right right behind the grandstand. <laughs> you come check it out. So it's pretty cool for, for the racers because the fans get to appreciate the effort and the hard work that you put in your hot rod. Not not to say that, you know, I'm not every sportsman racers do don't do that, but just saying from a from kind of a little league perspective, as I like to call it. Yeah, it sounds like an amazing experience and, uh, you know, something I haven't done or nor will I get to, but you got me fired up about it. I want to be there myself. So, Jake, 
there's tons of great talent uh, on the top and the bottom, but especially in the bottom bulb and in Division Four. How do you explain your dominance at the bracket finals the last few years? I mean, it's it's truly amazing. Yeah, we have a lot of good racers in Division Four, and and, and Luke Hecker in Division Four, and obviously you see where his accolades stack up as long you know with Edmund Richardson, Scotty, Jeff, and Jeremy Heffler, the Salem brothers. I mean, I can go on and on. Emmons, uh, it's I don't really know how to explain it. Yeah, it's I don't really do anything different than anybody else. I just try to go up there, concentrate, do the best I can, try to hit the tree, try to dial it tight. I don't really have a good answer for that. I just seem to be in the right place at the right times. You know, when you're going up with against the likes of Chad Salen and Aaron Jones and Jeff Rydell, I mean, you, you know all those guys, Jay, they come out oh, yeah. races every year. You know, Jay Robinson, all those guys from Houston. Uh, not just Kevin Martin, Matt. Bad match. He tries to foot break every now and then. I'm just poking at him here. I know, I know he'll hear this, but yeah, um, yeah. I don't, I don't really, I don't really have a good answer. It's just, like I said, right place and right time. Uh, kind of get lucky when you need to, and seem to drive well when you need to. Jake, you're a you're a pro, a seasoned veteran at this trip to Pomona thing, right? This is this is like an annual tradition at this point, but. Getting two cars out west will be new. Logistically, Absolutely. what challenge does this present for you? What's this going to look like taking this show on the road to uh, Pomona in 2018? Uh, it'll definitely be a challenge, but fortunately for me, uh, last year when, when I won in the, in the sportsman category in the S10 and Eric won in the C Love team, my dad decided he wanted to go buy a stacker and take us. So <laughs> that puts a lot of my logistics problems out the window. Uh, my dad's retired, he's got a motor home and a all this brand new aluminum stack and just rolled down the highway like three times. So, <laughs> perfect. Oh, oh wow! So you will get two cars out there. I assume you'll have the same two cars that you want in in Dallas. I think I'm. I see, me and Jeremy were talking about this Sunday night and last night. I'm kind of thinking we might take the S10 back. So I have the S10 and the the fire turret back out there. Cool. The same yeah. S10 that you had there last year. Yes, sir. Nice. Well, last year's pro uh, national champ come from Division Four, Jason Patterson, and you know Jake will be pulling for you to to repeat that, bring that championship back to Division Four again, man. Just congratulations, awesome performance, awesome year, and just wish you a lot of success as you move forward to finish your season out. Yeah, thank you guys so much, man. I appreciate you guys supporting me, and thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Well, you've listened a little bit, so you know we're not done. You know that uh, we have rapid fire coming up. So I need to ask you a handful of questions here and get your your quick answer. Whatever pops in your head, you up for it? I know you are. Oh, yeah. All right. I know you took a dream vacation here recently. Uh, That might or might not be it, but what's your favorite vacation spot? (laughs) That's pretty easy. I think my wife might – (laughs) <laughs> might poke me with a knife while I'm sleeping if I don't say it's Aruba <laughs> <laughs> you had mentioned earlier in reference Jeff Heffler he's another one that has come out of Division 4 a number of times and, and headed to Pomona do you have any idea the count between the two of you has has he been more than four times do you know oh, oh yeah I'm sure he's been a lot more than four times <laughs> <laughs> I, I know he's been probably, times. I didn't know if there was a little rivalry there dead. back and forth now I don't know. Me and Jeff, me and Jeff are good buddies. We talk quite a bit. Uh, obviously, he's got great product out there in Pro One that he's trying to, to manage now, so he doesn't get to race a, a whole lot. But when he does, you know, look out. 
Yeah, no doubt. So, Jake, you get to celebrate a lot, okay, because you win a lot. What is your favorite celebratory meal? Buffalo Wild Wings. I knew it. <laughs> what What do you get? I got to know. Oh, man. Mango habanero. Oh, okay. So they make a little hot barbecue every now and then. And- we discussed how you've got to get bonus points for winning in an El Catroco. I don't know if you ever listened to the podcast, but we've deemed this year the year of the Chevette slash T-1000. And I was just wondering, I mean, obviously you're a little bit biased in your current state, but El Camino versus Chevette, like, kid, is there, a, <laughs> is, there is there an advantage one way or the other, you know, just from where you stand? I drove with Chevette some last year, you know, I blew my motor up. Uh, Troy Morgan and Matt Dawson loaned me a Chevette. Me and Eric Salmon bought that same Chevette after Matt wanted the motor back. And uh, we cut the whole front end off of it, so because it was a death trap on wheels that tried to kill me more than once, just driving straight. <laughs> so I'll say the El Camino. I like the two-body shuffle, man. <laughs> All right, Jake. I know you're a big Pokes fan. Will the Pokes beat Oklahoma? Oh, man. <laughs> you just had to ask that. Huh? <laughs> I got to know. <laughs> hey, I'm never going to root against my team. I'll say it's just a you know. Nine times out of ten, I'm wrong, but one of these times I'll be right. So, yeah, we're going to beat him this year. We got a pretty solid defense. Finally, we got Jim Knowles as the DC. He's in here this year. And, uh, he threw a lot of confusing blitzes at Boise State, got them all fouled up. And uh, I like the way the defense has moved this year. And we got a fifth year senior walk on quarterback. He's kind of a blue collar guy from West Texas. And I, li- I like what he brings to the table. So we'll see. But as long as we can sack Kyler Murray about seven times, it ought to be a pretty Ought to be a pretty interesting game. <laughs> it should be a good one. Your head coach has got a mullet, so that gives you a clear advantage. Hey, and he, and he likes vodka and his lunches, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jake, thanks a lot, man. We appreciate you taking some time to join us. Congrats again. Good luck the rest of the way, whether it's bracket races or the, the world finals, wherever you're at. I wish you a ton of success, but thanks a lot. Hey, man, thanks a lot. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks a lot. All right, Jake. Have a good one, man. See you. All right, Jed. We just got to catch up with Jake Howard, the winner of not only the pro class, not only the sportsman class, but the pro class and the sportsman class at the NHRA Division Four Bracket <laughs> Finals. Again, not to be too redundant, but his fourth NHRA Division Four ET Bracket Finals championship, his third and fourth championships in the last three seasons. So super impressive, Jake Howard. In addition to his wins, there was obviously a lot more going on at the Texas Motorplex in the NHRA Division Four Bracket Finals. The Super Pro category. This name will sound familiar as well. We just had Jake Howard on. We have had Randall Reed on the show as well. Listeners may remember that name. He won a little race that they call the Spring Fling Million earlier um, this season out in Las Vegas. And Jed, I, I may not be completely on base in saying this because I don't live in Texas anymore, so I'm not familiar exactly with Randall Reed's racing habits, but I don't think he gets out much. Like, yeah, I'm going to say that this is like less than half a dozen times a year that Randall hits the racetrack, and all he does is win the big ones. Winner of the Spring Fling Million, winner of the Division Four Bracket Finals, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? I would say not, and I don't. I think Randall did let us know in his interview after the the Spring Fling Million that he doesn't get a whole lot of opportunities due to work and those things. But man, he makes the most of it. Goodness gracious! So, a Spring Fling Million and a Bracket Finals win in the same year, going to Pomona. 
another trip out west to, to try to just top his year off with a national championship in the Super Pro category. Should be pretty special for Randall. And Luke, the, you know, the other winners of the event, obviously, we just talked to Jake Howard. He won the Pro category over Donna Loomis. He won the Sportsman category over Adam Martinez. They had ET Motorcycle, where Tony Davis got the win over Ricky Bobby K. So that's a pretty cool name there. I like that. And the high school winner was Lacey Brown over Dalton Loomis. I'm sure uh, Ken Tadana. Junior Street was Clay Thompson over Trent Augustine. And the track manager's race was won by our buddy Cody Pollage. Got the win. He's uh, obviously Cody is uh, no problem raceways track manager. And he got the win over Eric McClellan from Ennis from the Motorplex. Well, shout out to CP, because that's awesome. CP's a friend of the podcast. I can't help but wonder, though, like it wasn't a month ago we had Nick Duty on here. Nick Duty won a 10 grander in a Chevette, by the way. It is the year of the Chevette, if you haven't yes. heard. Nick Duty is the track manager at Thunder Valley Raceway Park, Noble, Oklahoma. That is a Division Four track. Nick, what happened here? Like, <laughs> this, is, this is supposed to be easy money. This is We're counting on you. I realize they won't let you run the Chevette in the track manager's race, but... Like you, it's like the overwhelming favorite, right? What happened here? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Nick, Nick did come up a little short there, but uh, Cody, tough racer in his own right there. So I'd no like to see how that broke down. Maybe he and Nick tied up a little too early. The race of champions in the electronics category, Luke, was won by Eric Works. Uh, got the win over Daryl Patton. And the no electronics race of champions winner was Chris Gassaway, which is a great name for anybody that does any type of racing. And got the win over Lane Jones. And then Ricky Kay won the race of champions in motorcycle over Mike Hudson. So that is that Ricky Bobby K? I think that's the same Ricky Bobby K. Yeah. So impressive weekend for Ricky Bobby K. Ricky Bobby did very well, as did Jake Howard and all the winners. Congratulations to those Division Four winners. Uh, a lot more bracket finals action coming up Luke but since we talked to Jake we figured we'd go ahead and cover division four we'll get to all of those bracket finals results but first we need to talk about what everyone is talking about this week on what everyone is talking about uh, we could go in a number of different directions here as we referenced at the top of the show it was a big weekend lots of massive performances lots of chatter and talk within the sportsman drag racing community on social media like i say lots of different stuff that we could pick here but i got to roll with my guy big jed <laughs> yeah. yeah your man was cracking man, this was unreal hashtag team luke our own chris garrettson Okay, now, full disclaimer, I picked up Chris Garrettson at our, what do we call it, our trade deadline, our free agency deadline, yeah. based solely on his resume to date this season. Like, he hadn't been to a lot of races, he had done great at him, right? And I said at the time, like, if you pull back that tape, we had Kevin McKenna on with us, and I said, I'll be completely honest, like, I don't know who Chris Garrettson is. And Kevin said, he didn't know who he is either, right? I did not realize what I was getting into, Big Jed. And now, like, I, had I known that Chris Garrettson has an older Ed Quay dragster and he goes 890 at 120 miles an hour-ish, okay? Now, keep in mind, like, the average super comp car goes, like, 50 mile an hour quicker than that. Had I realized that 
Chris Garretson is just an old racer from Delaware with an old Ed Quay car with airplane front tires. I might not have picked him. <laughs> just com- complete transparency. What am I getting into here? I'm so glad that I did because this is awesome. Okay. And if you listen to last week's show, I don't want to say like I called Chris out. I just told everybody what happened, right? Last week's result was not stellar. Okay, fourth round of the divisional, running Kyle Bigley basically for the Division One championship. My man Chris Garrettson puts up 849 on the scoreboard. Okay, the index is still 890. They didn't change it. That's not what you want, right? And I said that as much last week, and in more or less words, got on him a little bit. Like Chris, come on. Like, and, and I said at the time, hey, nobody's more upset about this than Chris Garrettson. But come on, Team Luke, right? Like, got to represent a little bit better than that. So with that in mind, like I. I got on my guy, right? And that's a little motivation. I will take some credit for this, Big Jet. <laughs> you okay? should. My man this weekend redeems himself and then some. Goes to the final round at the national event at Reading and did so in impressive fashion. Okay, in the the six rounds of the event, he posted on the scoreboard ETs that ranged from 8889 to 8917. That's hard to do. Over the course of two or three days at a national event, I don't care how you're trying to do it. I would assume it's harder yet, although Chris Gerritsen's making it look pretty easy to do it the way that he's doing it with a, a finish line throttle stop. Like he is essentially on his own in what he's doing. Like he's not sharing data with anybody else. This is his deal. Okay. Yeah. On his semifinal by run, like I'm watching this on Dragger Central, and all it says is he staged and took the tree. And you would think, okay, we don't want to tear your stuff up, semifinal by run. You know what I mean? Save it for the final. Except, the way the schedule fell at this national event and at most national events, the semifinal run was the first run that sportsman racers got to make on Sunday. So like, that's pretty important. Like you want that data for the final. And I so <laughs> wanted this Jed to fit my narrative and be like, Chris Garrettson don't need that time run. Chris Garrettson don't want that time run. Right. <laughs> he said, I'll take the tree, save it for the final. Come to find out that's not what happened. Uh, um, through this, I'm, I've actually like, I, I've, I've not only become a fan of Chris Garrettson, like I feel like I have, uh, I've made a fan. Chris actually tweeted me what happened on that semifinal Byron throttle cable broke in the burnout, which on one hand is great timing because it's on a bite rail. Wow. On the other hand, awful timing because you get no data for the final, right? That is an hour away. And said final, let's be completely honest, wasn't pretty. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Chris had a little bit on the tree. Mike Robilato, who, by the way, is now in, also in contention for the world championship. Mike Robilato, something happened. He slowed. He went 902. My man went 889. Okay. But that's kind of like that looks awful on paper, right? I get it. He took 10th, almost 10th and a half finish line. But that's kind of the whole point here, Jed. My man's going 120 miles an hour. Yeah. You can't drive the finish line. Like, you probably can't do a very good job of driving the finish line against him. But as that dude, you can't drive the finish line. You're giving up 50 mile an hour in a dragster. Like, it would be one thing to do that in super gas or super street, per se. Like, difficult, no doubt. But it's one thing when you're in, like, something like my Vega. Like, I've done that in super gas before. Not with the level of success that Chris Garrettson is having, obviously. When it goes on the throttle stop, like, I'm coasting down the racetrack. And I can just spin around and look out the back window. And I can see my opponent the whole way. Which probably just gives me opportunity to screw up, right? <laughs> but I can watch it all happen. Chris Garrettson's in a dragster. Now, like those of you that have driven a dragster, like for most of us, the races in front of us or beside us at the worst, typically. Okay, 
And you'd think like dragsters have this huge visibility advantage. That's all fine and well, except when you're like the way slower car. Because you can't spin around and look out the back glass, Jed. There is something called yeah. a moat in the way. It kind of blocks your vision. So in this instance, like, whatever. Like, you took a tenth. Like, you kind of have to live with that if you're going to race this way. And that just goes to my point of what he's doing, like, being so completely unique. Like, in Supercom, I remember Happy Harrington, Jim Harrington, winning a race like this. Like, I want to say Harrington went, like, 890 at 115. But this is 20 years ago. Like, I don't remember anyone doing it with success since then. That brings us to the big picture. Chris Gerritsen, the guy that I'm talking about, he just took the national points lead. Team Luke, right? He's got 569 points, I think. That's not going to hold up. Like, 569 alone is not going to win the world championship. I would be shocked if it did. So Chris needs to do more, but he can. He's got opportunities. He still has one national event. One divisional event left to improve, and I believe he's improving a second-round loss at both. He's leading the national points by two and a half rounds right now. I mean, this could happen, and this is so cool. Like, this is an unbelievable story, and good on Chris Gerritsen. Like, not only for the season that he's having, but for the unconventional method in which he's doing it. Like, as I mentioned earlier, he is completely on his own here. Like, no one else does this. It's not like he's sharing data and it's not like he's going through the lanes going, how fast do you think it is? What's your ratio? Okay. His is a little different. And just personally, and this is completely personal take here, I just chuckle at this just because of the feeling that I've personally gotten from the division one community over the course of my racing career. And I don't mean to single out like an entire section of the country. It's probably not good for the podcast business. Although I admit that's what I'm doing. Um, I realize in doing this, I'm stereotyping. I'm responding to the vocal minority, but I've always just gotten this feel from the Northeastern guys. Like if you can win here, you can win anywhere. Right. Anywhere, any, yes. any, anywhere. There you go. There you go. I need that, right? I was, I was going to try to put in an accent. I was afraid I would mess it up. I'm glad you got that. Okay, we talked about this back when we did the all-state debate, right? And how everybody does that, right? Everybody's if you can oh, win, yeah. you can win anywhere. Everybody pokes your chest out a little bit, right? But that Northeast, that Division One attitude, that arrogance, I think to me is the worst, right? It's just, it just comes off like a "we're better than you" mentality. Or, that's the way I've always felt about it. I just love that that community has to eat just a little bit of humble pie. Like that that whole idea, you don't come into our area and and win. Well, last year, John LaBoost Jr. didn't make Division I superclass racing look all that difficult. Like he just kind of went in there and dominated. But he's John LaBoost Jr., right? So whatever, you, you get away with that, right? I found that humorous in and of itself just because... Like, I realize he's John LaBoost Jr. You can do that anywhere. But, like, the D1 crowd uh, a year before, like, you could just picture them saying, that don't happen here. Bring that to our show, right? And then John just ran over it. <laughs> and now, Chris Gerritsen. And to what we talked leading this segment, who is Chris Gerritsen? Like, that could actually be the topic of a future podcast. And if he ends up winning the World Championship, Big Jed, that will absolutely be the topic of an entire podcast. We will go deep dive Chris Gerritsen, right? We'll have him on the show. The whole thing. What we do know at this point, coming into this season, Chris Gerritsen was a little-known racer from Delaware. He's got a dragster that runs 120 mile an hour in Supercom with airplane front tires. I pulled this up. In 2017, Chris Gerritsen finished 469th in the World Championship standings. 
He attended four events. He lost more rounds than he won. He advanced past first round once. This is the guy that has run over Division One this season. He's leading the national points based mainly on what he's done in Division One. Don't take any of this as a slight on Chris Gerritsen. I love what he's doing. And I do believe that he could be doing what he's doing, having this level of success in any event, any division, anywhere in the country. It's just that that D1 faithful would have just crowed if Chris Gerritsen had done something like this and went on to win the world championship from, say, Division Seven. Right, and you can just hear the north. Yeah, that, 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 that happens out there on the west coast. That don't ever happen up here, right? So I just love the kid that the D1 community has to embrace the fact that this little-known racer is just kicking everyone's tail in their own backyard and doing it like again, not taking anything away from Chris Gerritsen, but it's not like he's laying down sub ten lap after lap. Like his typical run at Reading, I gave the ET grouping. But he was 30 on the tree every round of the final. So it's like 50 total. I get that he's 50 mile an hour slower than everybody else. But <laughs> let's say that like you got to make a single. And in order to advance the next round on your single, you got to lay down better than 50 total. Wouldn't you think he could do that? The D1 faithful, by and large, <laughs> not been able to do that. Eat your humble pie, Division One. Eat your humble pie. And it gets even I, – I mean, this is a pretty good rant, Big Jed. This one of my best. It <laughs> You're gets, on fire even better because there's like this undercurrent now that Chris Gerritsen's cheating. Cheating! <laughs> did you see the round that he lost last week? Like I did talk about it earlier. Again, I'm not taking anything away from Chris Gerritsen. I am a huge fan. But no one with a conventional super comp setup goes 849 in the fourth round of competition. And like that run hasn't been all that uncommon. Obviously, Gerritsen's made more good runs than bad, but when he misses with his setup, I guess, like it's not like he misses and goes 87 or 93. Like he's posted up 906s this year, 912s. I mean, when he misses, he misses. So cheating? Like, don't you, if you were cheating in Supercom, don't you think you'd do a better job than that? Like, come on, D1, eat your humble pie. Admit that this guy is doing better than you think. And that maybe, maybe you might not be quite as good collectively as you've built up in your mind. Eat that humble pie, D1. And cheating? Cheating? Look, when you accuse Chris Gerritsen of cheating, my perception of you moves from arrogant to idiotic. And that's way worse. So get out of my face with this cheating narrative and go Chris Gerritsen. CG to the front. Go Team Luke. I'm done. <laughs> wow, you had a lot on your mind there, Luke. And, I did. Uh, I've been thinking that up for a while. Very well done. And, you know, it's, uh, it is it is adding a little extra sauce to this to, to see Chris Gerritsen doing so well nationally, of course, in his own division. And I don't know a whole lot of Division One Super Comp racers, but um, they have been put in their place, it sounds like. So it's, uh, it's a very... Uh, very well done rant, I guess, if you will. So I, I really loved it. But the good uh, news is that I don't plan on going to the divisional at Atco next year. So <laughs> <laughs> good call. Other news from Reading Supergas, Ray Sawyer. That's Team K Mac and Team K Mac. Jed, Kevin's got us in a bad, bad shape, really all the way around, but particularly in Supergas because. 
if Devin Eisenhower doesn't win Supergas, Aaron Kennard will probably win Supergas. And if Aaron Kennard doesn't win Supergas, Ray Sawyer might win the Supergas World Championship. They're all Team Kevin. Like, it's literally probably the three guys that have a legitimate chance to win. He's got them all. Score one yeah. for Team Kevin here. As it pertains to Ray Sawyer, this win was big. This propelled him into second place in the national points chase. He's got a ways to go. He's like five rounds behind Devin Eisenhower. Got a few races to do it, but he's not improving junk. He's going to have to go real deep, like make another final somewhere along the way in order to surpass Eisenhower's current score. But he's definitely got a shot, and he's obviously capable. Ray Sawyer has done this before. He has been a Super Gas World Champion. Went from a little bit off the radar to very much in the thick of it with this win. Yeah, you know, it's pretty rough on me because I went from being the second best uh, NHRA World Championship picker on the podcast to being the third best when uh, KMAC come along, so... I don't know, Judd. You gotta you gotta look through this a little bit. I I'm pretty sure I'm in the cellar as it as it stands right now. Well, I'm sure something happened. You'll come out just like this right here, Superstock. Anthony Bertozzi. Of course he's Team Luke. So Team Luke gets another one on the board. Antoine did get the win in Superstock at Reading, which is awesome. And he's the man. Seventeen World Championships can't be wrong. Uh but this win actually did not help his points total, Big Jed. He was out of national event claims. Had this happened at the last national event that he went to, this would have been huge. This would have put him in the lead over Justin Lamb, would have made him the title favorite. As it is, those two very much neck and neck and not nearly as far out of reach uh, of everyone else in Superstock as I would have guessed a couple of months ago. Supercomp, as we mentioned, Big Jed, Mike Robilato got the win over Chris Garrettson, Team Luke, in the final round. Robilato's on somebody's team, too. Let me pull that up. While, while you're talking, Big Jed, I'll tell you who's got Mike Robilato. Yeah, Mike Robilato got that win, as you said, over Garrettson. Uh, Shane Oaks got back-to-back stock wins here. His second got this one over Anthony Fetch, our, our good buddy Fetch, going to another big stock final. Oaks, with his uh, back-to-back wins and won the Epping Divisional last week, kept the uh, fetch from uh, the family double, as Mike Robilato was his father-in-law. So, fetch with another strong performance and um, coming up just a little short there to Shane, the red-hot Shane Oaks. I think I'm mistaken, Big Jed. I'm looking through Supergum. I don't think anybody's got Mike Robilato, and he's got a shot. Um, I'll yeah, take it. Yeah, I bet you would. too late? I think he's only got one event left. He'd probably have to win it to really not only surpass Garrettson's current score, but put up a number that might not get caught, but that's certainly possible. And to that end, we talked a little bit about the super gas points chase and the super comp points chase. I thought it was a, a theme of the weekend, Jed, the, the youth movement. Like this has always been looked at as a young man's game, I think. And I always remember getting a lot of that when I was in fact a young man. Um, I'm really having a hard time with that transition. Like, I still think of myself as an 18-year-old, for the, particularly in racing circles. Like, I have a hard time coming to grips with the idea that I'm not the kid out there anymore. That, in fact, the kids are like 20 years younger than I am. But to that end, two guys that I really want to harp on and sing the praises of this weekend. Devin Eisenhower, number one. We've talked about Devin at length, particularly the last couple of weeks. He was on with us after his win at Indy. Devin and his father made the tow to Reading, where he extended his Supergas points lead with a quarterfinal finish. He's up to 622 points, and that's a score that traditionally 
can win. Like it's not the highest total to ever win Super Gas, but we talked a few weeks ago about how in recent memory, Jacob Elrod had the, the lowest score to ever win the championship when he won the title in 2015 with 621. Devin now has 622. Interesting side note, we talked about how Ray Sawyer's got a shot that year, 2015, when Jacob Elrod got the win, got the world championship. Number two, Mike Sawyer. So 622 could hold up. And Devin's still got one national event left to try to improve, which I assume will come this weekend here in St. Louis, where he's improving a second round loss. If he could stretch that out and advance to fourth, fifth round, it would make it really tough on the likes of Aaron Kennard, of Ray Sawyer, of anyone else with title aspirations in Supergas. Meanwhile, if that all wasn't enough, what he's doing in Supergas, Devin also advanced to the quarterfinal round in Super Comp last weekend, which was the third round victory was enough to vault him past Austin Williams in the national points chase. I actually made a, a, a tweet about that that was misinformed, or, or I, I wouldn't say misinformed, like I just didn't do all my homework. That round, third round at Reading, when Chris Gerritsen's win light came on, and Devin Eisenhower's win light came on, they actually both surpassed Austin Williams, who has been in the national points lead for the past two months, I think, maybe longer. Um, they both passed him the same round, as obviously Chris turned on a few more win lights. He extended his lead. And now the only thing that we really know about the Super Comp points chase is that Devin Eisenhower will not be your Super Comp world champion. Reading was his last event to claim for points. He's done. He's maxed out of races. He currently sits in second. He's had an amazing year, but he cannot improve. He will not pass Chris Gerritsen. He will not be the world champion. But what a season for Devin Eisenhower, and it may very well end up with him on stage on a Monday in Pomona talking about his Super Gas championship. He's definitely the favorite right now. In addition to Devin, we talked about the youth movement. What about Corey Galletti? Like this, he makes Devin look like the elder statesman. I think Devin Eisenhower is <laughs> 21. Corey Galletti's 17, and um, Corey Galletti he, he's he's pretty good at this racing thing too. Yeah, he seems to have it figured out. Like um, huge weekend for him at Dragway 42, which we'll talk about coming up. But you know, amazing amazing day Friday for him at the racetrack. But such a crazy weekend just seemed to kind of overshadow his performance. Um, and yeah, I mean, he – Corey won the day on Friday, right? If we record this podcast Saturday morning, we lead with Corey Galletti. There's so much amazing stuff that went on over the weekend. Like, we're 30 minutes in before we even talk about it, maybe longer, right? That's that's how this happened, but this was super impressive. Yeah, got the Friday $20,000 win there at the ace event at uh, Dragway 42, L. Rod and the gang putting on a great show. Won that over David Davis, which has had a heck of a season in his own right. And then followed that up. They had a $10,000 win shootout same day. He won that as well. A $20,000 main event and a $10,000 shootout win same day. Got that win over Brandon Taylor, which has had an amazing season. So uh, Corey getting back-to-back huge paydays on Friday uh, over a couple of guys that have performed extremely well. Like you said, he's 17, Luke. Uh, it's Chris Galitti's son. Everybody knows Chris. This kid still is eligible and will sometimes compete in his junior dragster. And he's out there in the big car cracking them for 20 and 10 in the same day. And that's just uh, another couple of big wins on the list of what he's accomplished at such a young age. 
Yeah, I think anybody that has been around Corey watched him do what he does behind the wheel of the race car. Like the first couple of times that I saw him, I'm like, oh, wow, this this kid's going to be really, really good at this. And then I think we kind of take for granted, like this doesn't shock me at all that he puts on a performance like this. And then you step back from it and say, he's 17 years old. My, I mean, wow. You know what I mean? To, to go, yeah. I, I, the number that I heard, which I don't know where this comes from. I assume that there's another event with this, or maybe he went really deep in Saturday's race. I, I think Travis Colangelo told me this morning that Corey had won 26 consecutive rounds at some point. And that's wow. nuts. I don't care how old you are. Yeah, I've been racing the car that I've got for 14 years, and this kid's only 17 years old and, and putting up that kind of performance. So great job by Corey. Ooh, um, I, re- I, I remember vividly when you got that car. Yeah, I do we're, too. We're old. I could still race back then. It was a good time. I looked ahead at a 32 <laughs> car shootout for five grand. Uh, which was won by another uh, big-time performer, Roy St. Dennis. Got the win over Skylar Turner. Uh, Saturday's race was won by Billy Black over Clint Payton. Uh, Saturday junior dragster winner was Chris Rizica. Got a $1,500 win over Landon Seal there in the junior category. And Sunday, looks like that might have been our old buddy Ken Sullivan getting the win over Jim Bartholomew. Yeah, that's uh, that's the way I had read that. Shout out to both of those guys. It's been a while since I've seen Ken's name, but a guy that could always get it done. And Jim Bartholomew, one of our elite members, having a great weekend up there. I believe, we don't have it in our results here, but I believe that there was another one of those $5,000 to win 32-car shootouts, maybe Saturday evening. And if I'm not mistaken, that saw Bryson Scruggs get the win, a.k.a., as my son would call him, Mr. Big B. That's part of the Cars Protection Plus team. That's Jason Lynch's nephew, who is uh, another one of those young guns budding into a, a future star, maybe a current star of our sport. I believe that Bryson got that $5,000 win over Chad Duke in the final round. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. October 5th through the 7th, IHRA will bring their new Summit Sportsman Spectacular to Farmington Dragway, Farmington, North Carolina. The main event will be Saturday's $10,000 to win race, while Sunday will pay $5,000 to win, all guaranteed. Both races allow electronics, while no-box entries will be kept separate until just one remains. That racer will receive a $1,000 bonus on Saturday, $500 bonus on Sunday, If that racer is an IHRA Summit Super Series member, they will receive a bonus $500. No box racers have won two main events to this point. This event will provide a little something for everyone. Ironman, big checks for the winners. There will be round prizes, contingency prizes, a golf cart race, racers appreciation cookout. Pre-enter now for only $150 for the Farmington event. Uh, That pre-entry special will run until September 24th. You can pre-enter now at IHRA.com. In addition to the IHRA, this week's podcast is presented in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. And 
Guys, I just want to shout out some of our elite members. We have had such an incredible run over the last couple of weeks. And again, that just continued this weekend. Uh, we talked earlier about the Division 5 ET Finals where Jaron Miller got the Super Pro win. Jaron is a member of Team Elite. will be not only representing his home track, um, SRCA Drag Strip, and uh, Division 5 in Pomona, he will be representing This Is Bracket Racing Elite. So kudos to Jaron. Way to go, bud. Um, good luck in Pomona. We also talked about Chris Whitfield score in that big win um, at the summer shoot summer send-off at Rocky Mountain Raceway um, Chris another long time this is bracket racing elite member and one of uh, the standout competitors on the West Coast kudos to him for getting pulling down that big win in the ultimate gambler one of our other members James Thompson uh, bottom ball bracer from the state of Florida just this past weekend James uh, locked up his track championship at Orlando Speed World in not one, but two categories. James Thompson, channeling his inner Jake Howard, won the uh, points championship in pro and in sportsman on the strength of a clutch victory over the weekend in sportsman. He also advanced to the quarterfinal round of pro to lock up both of those titles. Congrats to him. Shout out to Evan Kowalski. We talked about the Division Six event in Woodburn, Oregon. We didn't mention the fact that Evan won Supercomp. Evan, another um, This Is Bracket Racing Elite member that uh, scored big over the weekend and his win actually put him within a round of the lead in the Division 7 Super Comp Chase. So kudos to Ed, to Evan and good luck to him um, at Vegas as they wrap up that points chase. Jim Bartholomew, runner-up in a 20-grander at Dragway 42. Congrats, Jim. Another one of our This Is Bracket Racing Elite members. We talked about Chad Duke runnering up a 5-grander at the same event up there at Dragway 42. Chad, another member of Elite. And lastly, Edmund Ellison uh, knocked down the Race of Champions um, win in Sportsman, I believe, at the Division Three Bracket Finals. Edmund, uh, one of our more recent members of This Is Bracket Racing Elite, but a member nonetheless. So congratulations to all of our members for those outstanding performances this weekend, um, and good luck to those of you that get to move on to uh, the next step in that journey, whether that be uh, Pomona or um, whatever the case may be. So congrats, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. Action. We'll take uh, NHRA Division 3. It was up at the fabled Lucas Oil Raceway, Indianapolis, Indiana. And Team Lucas Oil Raceway got the overall points championship. I don't even know if we mentioned it from Division 4. It was Hobbs getting the win out there in Division 4. You may have touched on that. I missed it. I did it. not. I missed it. Um, but uh, shout out to the New Mexico team getting the uh, team championship in Division 4. And obviously Team Indy with the overall win up at Indianapolis, um, well, what used to be Indianapolis Raceway Park, now Lucas Oil Raceway. And this, again, we talked about how we push Corey Glitty's accomplishments back pretty deep into the podcast. What Mikey Sturgill did at Indy may be the most impressive performance of the weekend. And it's, I mean, would be one of the most impressive performances of the season. And yet, like in this weekend where so much is going on, you got Jake Howard doing what he's doing. You got Chris Garrettson. I got to talk about Chris Garrettson. You got Corey Galletti. Um, like there's just so much competition here. Mikey Sturgill rolled into Indy, race of champions representative, super pro, won that. Um, let's that be Friday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, whatever that was, early in the weekend. Went through the four rounds against the other track champions, wins the race of champions title. 
comes back the next day, mows through eight rounds of competition, wins the main event Super Pro title. And I thought when I read this, like, wow, that is obviously a very rare accomplishment and really possible that this has never been done. Um, it has been done, and it may have been done multiple times, to be completely honest. I, I couldn't find any history on, you know, like detailed comprehensive history on the bracket finals, but I, I did a little bit of homework because I know, like, if anybody's done this, it's our man, Kyle Seipel, Big Nasty. Oh, yeah. Kyle Seipel has not only won two classes at the same bracket finals, he also won the race of champions that weekend. Like, won the race of champions on Saturday, then doubled up on Sunday. Hashtag three wallies in two days. And just, again, not to take any of the shine off Mikey Sturgill, like the, what he's doing, this is incredible. And this caps off an amazing month for him. We just talked about him winning a day at the 10 Grand Nationals, did we not? So yes. this is a three-week span in which Mikey Sturgill has just routed the competition at a couple of the biggest races uh, in the area and the country, and now he'll go to Pomona to represent Division Three. Um, but backtrack to, to Kyle Seipel, and just there has never been anyone in the history of ET Finals competition with a record that even comes close to rivaling that of Kyle Seipel's. We talked with Jake Howard, four, four division championships in three years, amazing. And we talked about how Jeff Heffler, how, how Jake doesn't think he's matched Jeff Heffler's record for Division Four championships at the ET Finals. Kyle Seifel has won 10 NHRA Division 7 um, division championships in the super classes alone. Okay, Between Super Comp, Super Gas, Super Street, 10-time Division 7 champion. That in itself, impressive. He's got 12 ET Finals Wallies in addition to that. He has won the bracket finals, Division 7 bracket finals, 12 different times. Yeah, and Luke, I, I don't remember. I should have looked, but I, I don't think that was over a span of way more than twelve years. No, uh, we. I was joking, texting back and forth with Kyle, and he's like, "None of that's happened within the last fifteen years." Okay, well, what's Kyle in his mid forties? So yeah, that means that, that twelve Division Seven ET Finals wins by the age, give or take, of thirty. Yeah. That's impressive. Um, but what Mikey Sturgill did is really impressive, too. And headed to uh, Pomona, like, I just think this is cool because obviously when you get to Pomona, you got eight of the baddest dudes in the country, whether we know them by name or not, right? They, they have earned the right to be there, and that is an awesome show. But particularly for the Super Pro class, like this year, what, the, what we know of the field to this point, how about Mikey Sturgill? How about Randall Reed? How about Jaron Miller? Like, this this is like an all-star race. Like This is going to be so cool to keep up with uh, from the computer, obviously. I'm not making the trip to Pomona. You're not making the trip to Pomona. Um, this is going to be pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and Sturgill got that uh, Super Pro win over Nathan Jones. Uh, the pro category was Dustin Lawrence over Nick Hastings, Nasty Nick. Um, coming up short of a double there, he uh, performed really well in a couple categories, but Loins took him out in the pro category. Did you happen to see the box score that Dustin Loins put up? I did not. To win that race? Let me pull it up here just so that I'm not lying. It was pure nasty. That's Division Three ET Finals, Pro ET. All right. Eight rounds of competition. Dustin Loins starts off 004-002. Then he has like what would what what I certainly would consider a normal couple of rounds off the bottom. He's 38 and 26 in rounds three and four. Mm -hmm. Comes back around for round five. He's 10. 
Round six, he's won. Semifinal, perfect. Okay, now you're just coming off back-to-back, 001, perfect light, going to the final, racing Nick Hastings. It's going to be really hard to let go on time again, right? Yep. He's two. Oh, wow. Yes. No fear. Six of the eight rounds, ten or better, with half of those, five of the eight rounds, 004 or better, off the bottom. Yeah, that's very, very, very impressive, um, and especially knowing how talented Nick is. You, you know, you got to go up there and give it your best shot, and he ends up doing it and getting a win. Uh, Nick, uh, double, almost the double there, um, come up obviously with a runner-up position there, a quarterfinal finish in the sportsman category. So big performance for him, but Dustin Loins and um, Ryan Hendrickson was your sportsman winner, got the win over Sean Pitts. In the bike category was Jeremy Hicks over Mike Kruger. Uh, obviously, as we talked about, Mike Sturgill, the race of champion super pro winner, got that done over Gary Peters. The pro category was Herman Zender over John Tigner. Not enough kids, not enough parents naming their kids Herman these days. Let's let's bring Herman back. I like that name. And the sportsman category race of champions winner was Edmund Ellison over Doug Thompson to wrap up Division Three. All right, two more bracket finals to get to, one on the NHRA side, one on the IHRA side. NHRA Division 5, um, Heartland Park, Topeka. It was the team from Great Bend, that's SRCA drag strip, got the overall title on the strength largely of Jaron Miller's super pro victory. Jaron got the win over Chris Livingood. Uh, pro ET saw Joe Marks out of Minnesota get uh, the win in an all-Minnesota final over Bob Ingman. Sportsman win, uh, we're sending Brent Erickson to Pomona. Brent out of Nebraska got the win over Corbin Stahlbomber. Uh, the Stahlbomber family, very familiar uh, to the winter circle and to, to racing in general um, throughout Kansas. Uh, ET Motorcycle looks like Bo Drexler with the win over Michael Shelton. High school class, Jesse Nelson got the win over Garrett Nichols. And uh, Race of Champions saw Mike Seacrest in Super Pro getting the win over Joe Wolf. Pro Race of Champions looks like Ernie Rall from Colorado over Eric Johnson. Motorcycle Race of Champions, Ryan Schlepp over Jimmy Paulson. I know my boy Jimmy. High School Race of Champions, Devin Berger got the win over Sadie Shriver. And in the Track Managers Race, it was Bill Castle getting the win over Devin Hilton. Big Jed won IHRA Team Finals event to touch on quick before we go. Uh, Division 5 Summit ET Team Finals from US 131 up in Michigan, where, again, the home track won the overall team points title. Yeah, and uh, Donnie Hagar, uh, his winning ways continue. Uh, big performance there in the modified category, getting a win over Rich Purdue. And top, Marty McKinney won over, uh, just says Zimmerman, uh, Luke, I believe that I saw a picture of Marty winning in a Chevette. What else would Marty win in? Of it course. is the year of the Chevette, Big Jed. Just race a Chevette, guys. You will win. It's almost a guarantee this year. The street category with Steve Messick getting the win over Jordan Wilhelm. Jordan uh, just entered the Southern Footbreak Challenge. He'll be coming to join us in Mississippi next month. And the junior dragster category was Evan Mutchler. Uh, with another big win for him over Mason Osborne. Evan, uh, little Evan there, having a great, great season. All right, as you can tell, if you're still tuned in to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, 
Our, uh, our show's going a little long this week. We've got a lot to talk about. Big Jed had some other commitments. It is a busy week for Big Jed. As you guys know, he will be headed to Bristol for the Fall Fling as the voice of the Fling or the co-voice of the Fling. Well, so be racing Big Red. Um, a lot going on for Jed this week, so he had to cut out. I'm going to take the rest of this solo. Um, if you've been listening to this point, you realize that I have no problem talking, so um, this really won't be much different. I tend to not let Jed get a word in as it is. A couple more events from last weekend to touch on. NHRA Division 6 um, Lucas Oil event in Woodburn, Oregon. The results that jumped out to me here, A, Jody Lang got the win in Superstock. And if this is a familiar theme, um, producer Mark put, did we mention formerly? Um, formerly member of Team Luke. That seems to happen a lot lately, Mark. Um, I guess that's an alarming trend. But then again, Jody Lang isn't going to win the, the world championship in Superstock. Um, by the way, where was this performance, Jody, in Stock Eliminator, where you are a member of Team Luke? That's where we needed this win, not Superstock. But congrats to Jody. Win in Superstock. Stock Eliminator win went to a guy named Justin Lamb. Um, Justin, part of Team KMAC. Again, this Kevin McKenna domination. We might have to rethink uh, having Kevin as part of this Pick'em contest again because it looks like he's going to run away with this. But here it is, um, mid-September. And we're kind of right back where we started here. Um, Justin Lamb leads the national points in both stock and super stock. Um, he is, of course, the reigning world champion in both. Uh, won both world championships last season. He was just the third driver in NHRA history to ever accomplish that feat. Six weeks ago, I would have said, well, actually, I, I did say that Justin Lamb had a much better chance of winning the Superstock World Championship than he did in stock. Um, in fact, I think I went on record as saying he's going to be the Superstock World Champion. No one's going to catch him. Um, things have changed a little bit over the course of those six weeks on a pretty crazy chain of events. Um, it, over that time period, really just in the last month, Justin Lamb has been to, I think, four NHRA divisional events um, in Stock Eliminator. He's won two of those, semi to third. Might, might have even had, might, it might even be two wins, two semis. It's some ridiculous um, extension of what has been in a, a ridiculous season for Justin Lamb. Meanwhile, however, in Superstock, in those four events, Justin Lamb has failed to advance past the second round of competition. What's crazy? Despite that, like usually you have four bad divisionals, that's the end of the season. Despite that, Justin Lamb still leads the NHRA Superstock points chase, but it is more wide open at this point than I ever assumed it would have been uh, six weeks ago. I still think it comes down to either Justin Lamb or Anthony Bertozzi as, as we talk about the championships. They both, they're one and two right now. Um, they both have two division races remaining, but the Justin's uh, lack of success. And, and this just speaks to the idea, like you can say people get close to winning a championship and, and choke is always the word. Like this is point case in point, like Justin Lamb ain't choking. Like he's, if anybody has been there before, this dude's been there before. Like it's just the way racing goes sometimes. And it's never over till it's over. Um, but to that point, uh, Lamb and Bertozzi, they haven't put this thing out of reach like I thought they would. So that brings racers like 
Brad Zaskowski, like Chris Cheney, like others um, that have a shot at doing this now that earlier, like I even said point blank on one of our previous episodes that Chris Cheney's having a great year. He's not going to be the world champion because I assume Justin Lane would put this thing way out of reach. It's not. Chris Cheney has as good a shot. I wouldn't say he's got as good a shot as Justin Lamb and Anthony Bertozzi, but he has a chance to do this. And there's a handful of guys just like that. Stock Eliminator, where, again, Justin's win over the weekend catapulted him to the national points lead. I've said this before. This is the most intriguing title fight that we've got just because there are no less than a half a dozen racers having the season of their lives, like going to put up massive points total. And at Woodburn, um, specific to this Woodburn points meet, Justin got the win in stock. The key round, the the marquee matchup, was his race with Brian McClanahan in the quarterfinals that was huge. And this is how good a year Brian McClanahan's having. And keep in mind, he's not leading the national championship. Brian McClanahan staged for the quarterfinals of this division race and didn't improve. Okay, His divisional tally to this point, you get to claim your five best divisionals. He has two wins, a runner-up, and two semis. So his quarterfinal loss did nothing for him. That's where he met up with Justin Lamb in a, hu- in, a in a round with huge title implications because Justin's never going to get that round back if he loses it. And McClanahan might be able to throw out a semifinal round loss if he wins it. Um, Justin gets the win in that matchup. He's at 650-something right now and in the lead. Um, Jeff Taylor's second, Brian McClanahan's third. I've said for over a month it's going to take 700 points to win the Stock Eliminator World Championship. I still stick to that. That's still my guess. Justin can get there. Um, He has two divisionals remaining. If he wins one, he would have over 700 points. And keep in mind, he has won his last two. Um, So it's going to be super interesting to see what happens in Stock Eliminator going forward. Over on the bracket scene, um, Rocky Mountain Raceways, Salt Lake City, Utah, the summer send-off, which kind of becomes the track send-off. And I don't want to uh, uh, wax too poetic on RMR. We've already talked about this being the the last season for um, Rocky Mountain Raceway. We talked about that when they hosted their last divisional event. And this actually, I was looking at their schedule, is not the the last time that they'll swing open the gates. I think they have one more weekly bracket race um, that will really signify the end for Rocky Mountain. But this was their last big race. And uh, some familiar names here, some Andy Schmall domination um, out there in Utah, which I think it was this race last year. We talked about Andy um, just putting on a massive performance. That happened again. Friday, um, $10,000 to win Super Pro. The winner there, Chandler Mazir, got the win over Mark Barnhart. On the no-box side, $5,000 to win. Winner, the aforementioned Andy Schmall. Runner-up. Also, the aforementioned Andy Schmall. Um, Andy just continuing what has been an incredible season um, uh, from Vegas to Byron, Illinois, to Salt Lake City. Uh, I think he won a day at Boise. Um, like this is this is nothing new. Andy Schmall has solidified himself as one of the premier bottom ball racers in the country. Saturday looked like they fought some weather issues out there in Salt Lake City, some wind issues. 
The only race that they got in were their ultimate gambler runoffs in both Super Pro and in No Electronics. The winner in Super Pro, Chris Whitfield, a Denver, Colorado area racer, friend of the podcast, has been on with us before. He got that ultimate gambler win, defeated Chris Nafsinger in the final round. On the non-electronic side of the ultimate gambler, winner was Jeff LaSalle, another uh, West Coast bottom ball racer that we have talked about at nauseum. Uh, Jeff got the win over the always tough Trevor Hayes. Action wrapped up on Sunday, and what they had to do, again, because they weren't able to complete all of Saturday night's competition, was combine those two races. I believe it was originally supposed to be $15,000 to win Saturday, $10,000 to win Sunday. For those of you gifted in mathematics, you realize that that makes a $25,000 winner's purse when they combine the two for Sunday's main event in Super Pro. Winner of that one, no surprise. Marco Paravalaris, another huge West Coast bracket win. Marco won a day at this year's Spring spring Fling Million uh, that I think was worth $30,000. Backs that up here with a $25,000 victory out at Salt Lake City. Got the win uh, with a final round triumph over Lindsay Maservi. In the non-electronic side, that again combined from Saturday and Sunday made for $12,500 to win on the bottom. That win went to Dustin Ward, runner-up, none other than Andy Schmall. King of the send-off points, would you guess it, Andy Schmall. Um, shout out to Andy Schmall. And again, on any other weekend, he's the guy that we're talking about for the BTE who's hot. So many unbelievable performances this weekend. I don't want to say he gets lost in the shuffle, but uh, just so much going on. And again, back to closing down um, Rocky Mountain Raceway in, in Salt Lake City. And I was hoping that Jed would be on for this because I'd like to hear his thoughts on it too. But uh, seeing all the posts and all this, and again, I don't want to waste wax too poetic and get too sentimental here. We've discussed this to some extent already, but seeing the the, the outpouring on, on social media about um, RMR shutting down makes me think about it a little bit because we've all lost tracks, um, you know, somewhat local to us at, at some point, or most of us has. Some of them were our, our home tracks, and from the outside, it doesn't seem like it should be all that big of a deal, right? It's just a racetrack. It's just a facility. Um, but to think that, I think largely misses the the whole point of sportsman drag racing and why we are all so uh, passionate about it. For me, it, it brings back memories to, to Texas Raceway, where I grew up. Um, I spent so many days and nights, so much of my youth at that place, at that facility, so many memories. Like, it's sure, it's where I won my first race. It's also where I crashed my first, and thankfully to date, only car. Um, it's also where I worked my first job and got offered another. It's where I kissed a girl for the first time. Like, I experienced such a, a wide array of emotions at that facility, uh, way beyond the thrill of victory and the, and the agony of defeat, because... Uh, like I literally, well, literally, I guess is a strong term. Like I grew up there. I, I say that all the time, and and I'm not far from the only, uh, you know, current day racer that that feels that way about a, a certain um, facility. I met so many people and spent so much time with them at that place that when it shut down for good, it was almost like a a part of me almost died with it. Like we'll always have those memories. 
um, I just don't fault or, or mock these sentimental posts uh, about a facility closing down. Like this stuff is part of our collective lives as sportsmen racers. And uh, tracks close, I guess, for a variety of reasons. Some of them really good reasons. Like I understand that. I also understand how that can have a deeper effect and impact on uh, the racing community than I think anyone from the outside would really realize. So cheers to, to Mike Eames. Um, saw the related, saw a picture um, that Mike had shared from the starting line. He's he's flipping the switch for the last pair of pair of jet cars, uh, as far as the big night show, and you can just tell the power of that picture and how emotional that was for Mike, uh, and how much of his life he has invested into that facility and that show. Um, so cheers to him, cheers to Ron Kraft, the entire staff up there at RMR, and especially to the the racers. Not only those, you know that attend once a year for the divisional or the summer send-offs or the big bracket races, um, specifically to the to local racers that call Rocky Mountain Raceways home. Um, it is currently the only facility in Utah. So there will be several operations, racing operations, that just close shop now. I got nowhere to go. And those that continue, um, like you're talking pretty significant highway time. I mean, I'm thinking like four, five, six hours to the next nearest facility, um, which you, know, you can look at a lot of ways. Like you want to say it's a shame. It's not necessarily a shame. Everybody's got the reasons for what they do. Um, but again, just cheers to, to everyone involved. And it looks like they sent off uh, Rocky Mountain Raceway in a really, really positive light. Song to do the Justin Lamb. Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam. You do the Kevin Rand and lay the smack across the land. Then you do the L ride and you come out like the world champ. Hey, you've been waiting all winter long. Honey, where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's what's on tap. All right. Obviously, the uh, the big event of the weekend, one of the biggest events of the year, the Fall Fling coming to Bristol Dragway. That is where my partner in crime, Big Jed, will be all weekend. He will be working the mic. He will be racing Big Red. Um, many of us, myself included, uh, will be catching a lot of the action on the live feed and uh, obviously through social media. So that I'm without question, the fall fling will be a huge uh, topic and probably the lead story of next week's Sportsman Drag Racing podcast. In addition, it is that time of year. Uh, it's bracket finals heavy. Got IHRA Division Three Summit Team Finals up at Keystone. That's producer Mark's home track in uh, near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as well as NHRA Division One action coming to us from Atco, New Jersey. NHRA National Event Tour makes its way to my area. Um, the, tri- the AAA Insurance NHRA Midwest Nationals come to Gateway uh, International Raceway, or I think it's Gateway Motorsports Park now, as a matter of fact, near St. Louis, Missouri. Um, Mark, Bristol is the headline, obviously, right? The the fall fling. But I find this national event at St. Louis intriguing for other reasons, um, if no other reason than the top dragster um, field. This, when I looked uh, a day or so ago, they had 44 entries in top dragster. The quota is 38, or it's 36, I should say. So not supposed to have more than 36. You get gold cards, past event champions can enter at any time. So that balloon to 44, obviously the field is just 32 cars. Um, since that time, the field has uh, diminished a little bit just because I think you had four or five realize like, there ain't no way I'm getting into this. I just need to withdraw. Um, but still, I believe it closed a 40-car field 
um, trying to get into 32 spots again in Division Three, where it's known to get a little crazy to begin with. That bump, assuming that they get all three or at least two of the three qualifying sessions in, going to be ridiculous. Um, I anonymously, anonymously this morning polled some of our some of the top dragster guys that I know, many of whom are going to be in the field or at least trying to make the field at Gateway, and said, "Hey, what's this going to look like? Like this promises to be." the fastest bump in NHRA top dragster history. Can I get a prediction? And from that, again, it was probably half a dozen racers that I spoke with, maybe a little bit more. Um, 625 seems to be the consensus with the idea that if they get all three sessions in, it could, could see a bump of sub 620. Like that is not out of the question. We talked a few weeks ago about the bump at the Bowling Green Divisional coming in at 634.2. I believe that is the fastest NHRA top drag extra field to date. It sounds like unless something crazy happens, maybe unless they only get one session at Gateway, that that will get bettered and potentially blown out of the water um, this weekend. So something to watch, something to keep an eye on as qualifying takes place Friday and Saturday from Gateway. Um, Racer Confidential Series, producer Mark, we had that on the docket, but obviously this, I think, is the longest sportsman drag racing podcast yet. Um, So we're going to push that back to next week. We've got a little bit more room, too much to cover going on, but we will get back to Racer Confidential. We have a lot of fun with those, so keep those stories coming in. That will finally wrap up this week's episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. I had a lot to cover. Um, thanks to our sponsors, as always, IHRA. Um, this is Bracket Racing Elite. And, of course, BTE for the BTE Who's Hot. Thanks to Jake Howard for coming on the show with us. It's not quite the same without Big Jed here. But I do have shout-outs. Actually, a little bit more of a serious note first. I um, was talking with Brock Porter, the um, track manager at Beach Bend Raceway Park this afternoon, randomly. And he shared this with me, and I thought it was worthy of inclusion on the show because this stuff has probably happened somewhere across the country at some point. But, boy, you don't hear of it very often. Jay Oakley got the win. This is a regular Sunday afternoon bracket race at Beach Bend, Bowling Green, Kentucky, last weekend. Jay Oakley won Super Pro. That name sounds familiar. That's Philip Oakley's son. Um, and, and Brock was quick to point out, like, Jay wasn't unbeatable. Like, first round, he thought he bought back. In the final round, I think Jay flinched on the tree, set the button back in, was real late, like 200 on the tree, and his opponent broke out. Okay? But in between, from... There was a five-round stretch, I would assume, that second round through the semifinals, in which Jay Oakley had no worse than a seven-thousandths package. Five consecutive rounds, no worse than seven total. I think it was like three-package, four-package, seven-package, four-package, seven-package, or something along those lines. Something plum ridiculous. So shout-out to Jay Oakley. Shout-out to Ricky Bobby K. Ricky Bobby K. That's awesome. Shout out to the El Catrucco and El Catruccos everywhere. Of course, shout out to the Chevette and Jake Howard um, for debating the merits of the two. Shout out to Marty McKinney for another big win in what is, without question, the year of the Chevette. Shout out to Andy Schmall, who just keeps on winning despite the fact that he does not drive a Chevette. Um, In addition to Andy, shout out to his mom, Patty Schmall, um, who we've shouted out before on the podcast. Shout out to Herman Zender and Herman's everywhere. As Jed said earlier, I agree, Herman's a name that we don't see enough of. Shout out to our friend, the big nasty Kyle Seipel. And of course, I cannot close the podcast without 
another shout out to Chris Gerritsen. You the man, Chris. And of course, I'll go ahead and shout out Division One racers everywhere. Um, although you're probably still not listening. I bet I ticked you off enough earlier that you shut us off. Um, one note, courtesy of producer Mark, shout out to Bud McNasby and shout out to Blaze Ray. Uh, those two were in the finals, kind of a, a bizarre final round um, at Keystone's uh, Sniper Series over the weekend, but wanted to give a quick shout out to both of those guys. Um, once again, listeners, if you have made it to the end of this podcast, this marathon podcast thank you um tell us what you think let us know you can message us on the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page or you can at us on twitter i am at luke bogacki that's l-u-k-e-b-o-g-a-c-k-i big jed is at jp11x let us know what you think and until next week safe travels good luck on the racetrack and we will touch base again next wednesday Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning it. Foot like in it. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action. Take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.